in this parable, we find kind of like the one last week. We're more familiar with this one. But we do find some moments that we like to skip. So it's also not on the list of parables that we like. It's on the list of parables that make us uncomfortable. That's okay. That's, that was what Jesus intended for it to do. So, uh, I'm going to do, I've got uh, friends here today that are from Bonham, my priest in Bonham, before we moved to New York. And uh, so, in my mind also is Lot, Lot used to say, when somebody would say, you stepped on my toes this morning. Lot would say, well then stop putting your feet in the wrong place. You know, I to that. So, that was his, his go-to for that. So, I'm going to warn you, is it possible I'll step on your foot? I have no control over that. I have not. I'm going to preach the word, and your feet are where they are. Okay? They just, they, it is what it is. It is where it is. That's all that it is. Okay? So, and besides that, I didn't even say it. It was Jesus. I just, this is none of mine. Um, so let's, let's read it first, since we're talking about Jesus and what he had to say. And then we'll, we'll break the parable down. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. He's excited. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who had not were invited were not worthy. Go therefore the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all they found, both good or both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, now I can see by a couple of the expressions on faces, the ending of this parable, it was like, well, what, what happens then happily ever after? It was another one of those, well then, throw that rascal out there into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's another one of those where some people are destroyed. What kind of a mood was Jesus in in this last week? Well, his devotions were really kind of all over the place. The context of his mood is still the same context as last week, so we won't spend a lot of time on that. But the context of what was going on was people were arguing with him constantly. They were blaspheming, blaspheming against heaven, God of the Holy Spirit. They were resisting God, him, and the Holy Spirit. And at times, he's just plain fed up. And we like to think that God is only grace and only mercy, that Jesus is only love and only compassion. He's all those things. He's all those things always. But sometimes our loving, compassionate, merciful, forgiving God is also fed on. And this was one of those times. 
And so he tells a parable to a group of people that contains a mix. There are people there who believe in him and they're investigating what he is saying and they're listening carefully because they want to do what's right. They want to be disciples of Christ. There are those who have already made that commitment and for three years have been following him everywhere he went, teaching and working and serving and learning from him what it means to be a child of God. And then you have the crankpots who are there. Stubborn, angry, conniving, sneaky, and murderous. He's not, again, with this one, he's not all that veiled. Maybe it's a little more complicated than the last one. But he still makes it pretty clear. People who are really stubborn and won't, won't accept the invitation, there are consequences for not accepting the invitation. And he's got those people in that crowd listening to what he's saying. That's why he's going, well, now let me tell you another story. Because he tells a story and he watches them and they get even angry. And he's like, didn't take, let's try another one. And he just keeps giving them an opportunity. And we talked about that last week. That ultimately Jesus' goal was not just to tell them they were wrong. He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to come to him. He wanted them to be in the kingdom of God. That's why it's one story after another. He's like, something's got to get through to your heart. Some of it did. Some of them it didn't. And that's, that's where we are. Uh, let's look at characters. Just this kind of intro to the characters. It's easy, right? you got the host. you got the master, a king, who is having a wedding. And he expects those who snubbed him to come to the wedding. That's the second set of people. He invited those are the people that were typically going to be at the king's wedding. They were the high muckabouts in his kingdom, right? And people he had connections with, friends, relatives, and everybody else. And it naturally, he would assume they're going to come to the wedding. You know, it's a royal wedding, presumably. He's a king. And so you assume that this is like the social event of the year. That's what he thinks. And surely they're going to come. You know, I think if, well, it would have been back when we, Elizabeth was still alive. If she sends out invitations to her uh, son's or daughter's wedding or grandkids' wedding, I mean, most people live to get something like that. And so even if they don't like royalty, they still think, oh, yeah, but I'm going to go. Because at the very least, there's got to be some good food at a royal wedding. You know, I think having a cook, it's got to be pretty good. I mean, at the same time, I mentioned Queen Elizabeth. That is a risk. You notice there are no big fancy English restaurants all over the world, right? Instead, England is famous for all the international food that they brought in to replace their own. So, you know, maybe. But you would think that it's a big deal and it's going to be really good. And these people all one after another just tell him no. Some of them even get violent and reveal their true feelings for this king and slaughter his servants. I mean, what are you doing there? What, what's the preacher-approved, church-approved way of saying they gave him the bird? That's what it would be. I didn't say it, but, you know, if you were going to say it, that's what they did. And a very violent, very hateful, spiteful way. And so they get what's coming to them. So you got the king. You got the people who should have been there. And there was probably some societal expectation to be an example of that. Uh, Rich Dolan was telling me the last time that he was in Cambodia into this last year, that uh, the culture there for the weddings is that, let's say you're in a village, everyone goes to everyone's weddings, period. Doesn't matter. Ties, anything else, it's a matter of village respect. 
everyone goes to everyone's weddings. And so whatever your community is, it's expected. And it basically lasts for days. And there's a big feast and you go and you eat at this thing and, and it's, it's, it's a big celebratory time. And they take up the street. They will shut down main thoroughfare streets if that's where the family lives and just take it over. And now this is the outdoor dinner party and tents and music and everything else. And they keep a list when you show up. You, you come in and you, you write down what your contribution was. Everyone makes a contribution. It's the culture. And so you make a contribution, and they keep a record. And in that way, when your child is getting married, they are going to be at your wedding. They will keep that respect, and they will come to your wedding. And their gift will be in proportion to what your gift was to their kid. Can you imagine that? That's something. You, pull. you know, what did, what did they give? It's, oh, yeah, he was a cheapskate. That guy's getting dollar stores. So, you know, there you go. But, but that's what they do. And it's just the way it works. Okay? If you decide, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm not doing it anymore. You get nothing for me. It's like this. It would be taken the same way. It would be a slight. It would be rude and obnoxious and everything else. Very, very different. And even though those are two different parts of the world, Cambodia and first century uh, Judea, the expectations were closer than what ours would be to help me sense the parable a little bit. And uh, the social expectations of all that. So you had the guys who, who snub him. And then you have people, after he sends out his servant, says, well, fine. I'll go find some other people. And he goes out. And he gets all of these other people. And, and they're like the blind, the sick, the lame, and other people. And breaks them in. People that normally in hate would, would step around. Have this party go around. And really, you know, it's kind of like when presidents go to towns and they clean up all the people who are out on the streets. That, that does happen in not sometimes it happens when our presidents, presidents go to other countries as well. They say the last time, last couple of times that our presidents visit Cambodia, it was a totally different city for a weekend. You know, it's completely different. And these would be the people that would have gotten swept off. Sad. These would have been the people that got swept off. So when they get an invitation, they know their place in this thing. And they said, wow, I can't believe he's at night. And they go. And they sell them, and they're grateful. And then you've got this on again. They're just, he shows up, but he's not, he didn't come like he was coming to a wedding. He didn't come like he was in the presence of a king. And the king sees him, the king is like, well, who let this joker in? And kicks him out, has him tied up, bound up, duct taped, and sent. He got the New Jersey treatment. This guy's ended up in concrete boots somewhere, isn't it? Probably next to Jimmy Hoffa under a stadium somewhere. I want to talk next about what this parable is not teaching. Because sometimes we come to this last passage, and, or not the last passage, but the last guy. And because of the way Jesus told the story, he was there. He, he didn't have wedding clothes on. God had the wedding clothes. And let me tell you, that's getting harder and harder to understand what world that is. Okay? Our culture has changed a lot. And what you wear to a wedding and what you wear to a funeral, you have no idea. Unless they said the family gives you some kind of be nice to the people doing those things for you and tell them what you expect as a family. Because let me tell you, this is how bad it's getting. Now, I get phone calls that they're like coming here to do a funeral or a wedding or something like that. I get phone calls from other preachers asking me what to wear. Oh, Lord, have mercy. If you're calling James Glasscock about what to wear. <laughs> 
I ain't got nothing for you. <laughs> you know? You just you don't do it. You just don't. But that's what, because they don't have a clue. Because it might be high, it might be low, it might be somewhere in between, it might be more relaxed, it might be business casual. But what in the world is business casual even to meet anymore? Who even, what business are you going to? I don't know. You know, sometimes the people at the McDonald's have nicer uniforms than the people they were paying $20 at a tip. I don't know. So, who knows? But they had expectations, and this guy shows up. He's in a royal court. I think you get invited to Buckingham Palace for a wedding, you know kind of what you're supposed to wear. Okay? You have a clue. This guy, you think he doesn't know? Or does he not care? Because everybody knows. Probably doesn't care. Say, well, but what if he didn't have anything? We'll get to that. I promise you we'll get to that. There's something else going on here. So I put this picture up. I don't think you could probably read that very well at the back. Uh, but uh, somebody else made this. It's not real clear, but I'll, I'll make it clear. So, you know, that's a church, right? And uh, I, I have cropped this picture, and I'll get to that in a second. But in this picture, you had people with various different clothing. And if you could read it, you know it says, pointing to the man and the suit and the tie. Uh, very 1993 there, 1992. Uh, this man... That wasn't Bacriar. This man is a saint. How do you know that? Well, because he's in church in a suit. He's got to be holy, right? The man knows. He read the parable. He read the parable where the man was picked out for not wearing the right clothes. When you come to church, wear the right clothes. Is that what Jesus was teaching? Hint. No, that wasn't what Jesus was teaching. We'll get there. What this other person who made this, this image circled was this man here. Another guy. What's he wearing? That man called James Blastock. That was his problem. Okay? You don't do that. I told you. You don't do that. He's just wearing normal everyday clothes. Like, I don't know. Jesus. And so he has a circle that you won't see on the back row. He has a circle around him. And it says, this man will spend eternity in hell fire. That's what it says. Will he? Well, I hope not. If he if he's going to, it won't be because of his clothes. But now I sent a proper photo. I brought the photo out because this lady's holding a guitar and that's why she's not going to church with her husband in heaven. Okay? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you're on the internet, total kidding. They know. Okay. So I really did crop that out. Just you know, because somebody might be able to crop that. But this is kind of the mindset that some of us have experienced in our lives. Some of you go, well, I don't even know why that's a deal. Good. God bless you. You already knew Jesus from the outset of your Christianity. But some of us had to walk through some hellfire to get to the point we're at now. Okay? Was God talking about clothes? No, he wasn't. Was Jesus talking about clothes? No. Is there a certain dress standard? And this is not the point of today's sermon, and that's actually the point. The point is that it's not the point. Is this what he's concerned with at this moment? No. When you look at Scripture, here's a little parenthetical bonus reference. When you look at Scripture and it talks about clothing and what modesty is and what is right, do you know what it says? Do not wear clothes that show off your wealth. Do not wear clothes that bring all the attention to you. Don't get too full of yourself. First Timothy 2, verses 8 to 10. First Peter 3. Go check them out. They both say the same basic thing. Don't make it about your appearances. 
So what did we in Christianity do in the 19th and 20th centuries? Because it's only that short window that Christianity had this problem. What did we do? Well, of course it's about the clothes. And of course, you've heard the phrase, right? You must wear your best for God. I have a friend who was a preacher who said, so you want me to wear a tuxedo next Sunday? And the guy said, no, that would be ridiculous. He said, it's the best thing I own. Anything I wear now will be less. What do you want me to wear? You know, he was being a smart alley. But uh, this isn't what God's concerned with. God is concerned that we not make it about judging people in their outer experience, in their outer clothes. Modest. Cover your bits. Don't draw attention to yourself. That's the theological term. And don't make it about you. See, it. it's that easy. Because what is God concerned with? He's concerned with what the parable is actually about and what we're going to look at. One little thing. I want to pick on preachers for a sec. New trend has gotten so bad in this thing of our uh, showing off that there's now an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. And Preachers and Sneakers calls out online and televangelist preachers and anybody else that they could find and points to their shoes and then gives you, here's where they bought, here's how much they are. And I think this is hilarious because Meta being Meta, the Facebook, Instagram people, and here's a link where you can go buy them too. And that's not what they intended at all with the Instagram account. I know nothing about this preacher, so I'm not picking on this one in particular, but it was one of the first that came up and it's one of the more famous cases. Those sneakers are made by Versace paint and no Versace Vegas standards. What's the point of that even? And they're $995. But it's become a trend. And it's hilarious because these are the, these are often preachers who were trying in the beginning to make a deal of it's not about the clothing, but then they had to make their casual clothing more and more expensive. You see where humans go? I'm not picking on him particularly because it's just humans, isn't it? We find ways to bring it back to the superficial, to the material, because that's honestly easier than dealing with what Jesus is actually talking about. And it's more comfortable. And then we can look the part that maybe we don't have to actually deal with the part. And that's a problem. So we kind of take this parable sometimes into the exact opposite direction of what Jesus intended. Because he's going to tell us he goes with life deeper than that. Okay? So let's look again at the characters and kind of the attitudes involved. So you had those who snubbed him. Who are they in the crowd that he's talking to? They're those stubborn people. Yeah, they're the unbelievers. They're the ones who refuse his call. More importantly, they're those who we would call really good religious church folk. These were the religious leaders that he's dealing with and the people that, that went to Jerusalem to worship and then ignored the Messiah in their midst. Because he wasn't the way they thought he ought to be. He wasn't dressed up enough. He wasn't agitated enough. He wasn't this enough, according to their standards. And they just refused to listen. So, that's who they are. And they know it. They, they, by this time, they know exactly why he's telling them the story. Then he had these other people. The tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. The lady that was caught in adultery. In uh, John 8, you have all of these people who are copying and following Jesus. The people who wouldn't have normally been invited. The first group wouldn't have invited them for sure, even though they don't want to go themselves. 
They didn't want to follow Jesus, but they, were, they ridiculed Jesus for having the kind of followers he did have. Jesus says, oh no, those are the grateful. They did it. They're glad to be here. They're glad to celebrate. They're glad to be a part of what's going on. These are the grateful, yes. And then you have this third guy. And I find him to be kind of a surprise guy in this story. Where did that come from? The first two things Jesus has been talking about already in, in the parables before. So he adds another layer. And this other layer keeps all of us from becoming the first to snub people. Because even if we would identify ourselves with the second group, oh no, I'm here because I know I need the race. I'm here because I know I need the race. I'm here because I know I can't dress up enough or put on airs enough to fortify into anything. There's still a little bit of a trap. Satan will try to get those people into as well. Jesus warns us about that. And we kind of, we kind of go through this sometimes. If you move, for example, from a background or an experience of legalism, it's really easy to swing into just the equal and opposite of the extreme of nothing matters and everything's great and all is good. There's really no expectation as long as I just believe I'm good. And that's not true either. And it's equally unhealthy in the other direction. And it's just the equal and opposite extreme. And I think Jesus is trying to head us off from thinking that. So this guy comes into the wedding. He's not prepared. And he doesn't have the right clothes. He might have said, well, you said for all of us to come in. Yeah. But, you know, everybody else came in like they were coming to a wedding. And no, they weren't wearing Versace sneakers. And they weren't wearing fancy suits. But they were prepared. Again, we're not talking about clothes in reality. They were prepared. You came unprepared. And you wanted, ultimately, all of the blessings of being at the king's banquet with none of the expectations. In other words, modern Christianity. Uh, we, maybe we turn into drive-through church where we want all the blessings of being a Christian, but we don't want to do any of the work. We don't want to do any of the heavy lifting, and we sure don't want, which is why I think he's getting at, to actually have to change our hearts and our minds and deal with the things that work right in our life. God gives us grace and he gives us mercy and it's awesome. That's why I think I'm saying with enthusiasm because we know that. But he gives us grace and mercy so that we can be transformed by his spirit into something better. Not so that we just get a rubber stamp all right here in. It's deeper. It's actually better. It's a greater blessing when you realize that he wants to transform us into something that one preacher called a cataclysmic revert, absolutely changes everything, down to the molecular level, everything changes. Everything changes. We get kind of scared of that, so we think, well, how do people go to the wedding the way I am? You're invited to the wedding the way you are, but you come prepared for what you will be. So what do we wear? What's, what's the answer? Okay, well, what are we talking about? Not clothes. What do we wear? What should I wear? Paul answers the question in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Not through what? He'll say in Ephesians 2, not by your works, so that no one should boast. Why is he going to say that? 
because we want it to be about our works. We've got our checklist on. I got the, I got the right clothes. I got the right shoes. I'm in the right building. I'm in the bed. Even crocked out the guitar for you. So we're good, right? No. What are we saved by? Faith. But keep going. What about where? For all of you who are baptized in the Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What are the clothes that make us worthy of the wedding of the bride of Christ? Christ. It's Christ. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. By faith, and because you were baptized into Christ, you are clothed with Christ. You're ready. John the Baptist. And it fits, I think, very well with all of this parable and clothing and everything else. Because, you know, John the Baptist wore Armani. Right? Isn't that what he wore? No. John the Baptist wore camel hair, for crying out loud. Good grief. That cannot be comfortable. But that was all a sign as well. That was a sign of repentance and everything else and, and a calling people back to God. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So his wedding could have been interesting if he'd had one. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, jumping down to verse 7, and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Verse 8, pay attention. What do we wear? We wear Christ by faith and because we're baptized into Christ. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. See those, what's the word I'm looking for? Entitled. Yes. I deserve an invitation even if I want to turn it down. We're Abraham's kids. We don't need all of that. Look at what he says. We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, not as able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, they are laid, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It ends the same way as the parable. Because he's really telling us the same message. Will you come to the Lord? Have you come? We come with your Christian come to worship, how do you come? When you're at home and you bow your head to pray, how do you come? You're not yet a Christian. You want to be. How do you come? In faith. In repentance. As Christians, that never stops. It never ends. We constantly, we talked about this Wednesday night, we constantly lay ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I know there's still some things that aren't right here. Working on these, I need your strength, I need your guidance, I need your wisdom, and I need your mercy. First John 1 says, he freely gives it, because he's that good to us. He's faithful and just to forgive. So we come in repentance, till we come in faith, and we come clothed with Christ, and we're his. That guy got kicked out, because he wanted to help the church and, and act as though... Being in a worship building and being in a worship service makes you a Christian. You know the old joke that no more works than putting a box, hardware box, or standing in a garage that you are your box of car. It doesn't work. What works? Faith. 
the thing they refused to have in people who were standing before they Lord, I believe. Surrendering our hearts, our lives to the Lord in baptism, be buried with Christ, raising the Christ, and clothed with Christ. And look at that promise that He made. You've been baptized and are clothed with Christ. There is no more of all these things that would separate us not from one another or from the Lord's. They're all gone. And we're all one in Christ. And we are the welcome, grateful guests at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Isn't that incredible? Because that day is going to happen. That's the description of the resurrection when Jesus comes in. end. We are gathered together to the wedding party of the Lamb. So we sent out the invitations. You've got it right there in your hand. What are you going to do? You need us to pray with you. We're craving you. You need to be clothed with Christ in baptism. We will baptize you. You need to know more about it. We'll study the Word of God with you. And we'll find together what God wants for us and it can be His. We've got the invitation in your hand. What are you going to do with it? A sense of darkness.